0: You're listening to Castrol CarCast on Podcast One. Hey there, we got a special bonus episode this week featuring a 10-minute preview of a true crime podcast, 22 hours, an American nightmare. News station WTOP and their award-winning journalists have made a great series that will take you right through the mystery of the mansion murder in Washington, D.C. So you can take a listen here, and then you can head over and check out the podcast, 22 Hours, An American Nightmare, and you listen to the full episode. And don't forget to subscribe. You want to know what happened while being held hostage for 19 hours in their own home and the crazy way they found the murderer. New episodes every Monday, and enjoy. nine one what is your emergency? Hey, uh, I think there's a house fire at 3201 Woodland Drive. Got smoke coming out of the eaves and the window. Repeat this again. It's 3201 Woodland Drive. It's 124 on May 14th, 2015. It was pure chance that Donald Spence found himself at the front door of a burning house in northwest Washington, D.C. that afternoon. He'd just finished a job installing wallpaper at a house in the neighborhood. It was the kind of neighborhood you might want to walk around in full of beautiful old houses some might consider them mansions each with its own ornate style and manicured green lawn the neighborhood is tucked away behind dc's famed embassy row the home of the australian ambassador is right there across the street and the vice president's official residence just a few blocks away i just drove up saw the building and it's torn out of the uh, overhang okay from which floor is uh, the fire is coming from it's coming from, it looks like it initially from a bedroom, but it's going sweeping across the whole overhang on the front of the house. This is it's private house, single house? It's a private mansion. Bence had just finished eating his lunch in his truck, and he was about to head home. Bored by taking the same turns on the same streets for weeks, he decided on a whim to take a new way out of the neighborhood. And that decision took him right past the house with smoke, Pouring out of its eaves. Okay, I've already seen the fire department at 3201 Woodland Drive Northwest. Yes. Okay. Top of the hill No one is seems to inside the house. I don't think anybody's in the house but but I can't tell. I knocked on the door and I can hear the alarm going off. And there's a fire. Yeah, and that, it's, the house is like crackling. No flames yet, but the smoke is just pouring out. Now it's pretty quick. DC firefighters arrive in a matter of minutes. One of the first trucks to arrive is from Engine Company 28. It's a fire station right near the National Zoo, about a five-minute drive from the massive brick home on Woodland Drive. The first firefighter, Lieutenant Chris Hershey, rushes up the flagstone path to the front door. The address is spelled out in gold lettering on the archway. The door is locked, so he kicks it in. Hershey had no idea he was walking into a crime scene. Standing in the foyer, Hershey sees thick black smoke pouring down the stairs in front of him. It's so heavy that even with his helmet light on, he can't see his hand in front of his face. Firefighters are trained to fight fires from the inside out, to go right to the source of the fire. He starts to climb the staircase. Navigating up the stairs in the dark, Hershey pushes open a bedroom door. He's found it. The whole room is lit up orange. The flames are rolling up the walls. We got room off on the second floor. There's a line on it. Copy 28, you have a room off on the second floor. You have a line on the fire. These are the fire department radio transmissions from that day. A line means that Hershey has a hose on the fire, and he's trying to put it out. There are other recordings from this day, too. They're filled with firefighter jargon. But they help illustrate the chaos of the scene as firefighters discovered this was not a normal fire. More firefighters start to pull up on Woodland Drive and pour into the house, looking for anyone who might be inside, overcome by the smoke. Private Michael Ader is one of them. He's not here to fight the fire. He doesn't even have a hose, just his tank of oxygen and a mask over his face. Facing the thick black smoke, he heads to the second floor to look for victims. And right away, Ader knows he's on a deadline. His oxygen will only last him about 25 minutes, and it's a very big house, so he knows he needs to work quickly. Ader goes to a different bedroom from the one Lieutenant Hershey is in, working to extinguish the roaring flames. Ader heads across the hall to another bedroom filled with thick smoke. There's no fire here, but he knows there could be a person who couldn't find their way out. So Ader starts what's called a right-hand search. He gets down close to the ground, and orients himself by keeping one hand anchored to the wall on his right. Starting at the door, he runs his hand along the wall until he covers the entire room's perimeter. But Ader can barely see. With one hand maintaining contact with the wall, he reaches out with the other, blindly feeling around. His hand hits the back of a chair. He sort of gives it a nudge, but it's weighted down by something, almost like someone sitting in it. He reaches up to where he'd expect a head might be and feels a face. (laughs) Ader goes to lift the person out of the chair, but he can't get a good grip. Something's wrong. They keep slipping out of his grasp, and he doesn't know why. He doesn't know if the person is alive, but they feel like dead weight. He goes to lay them on the floor so he can try and lift them in a different way. As he lowers the person onto the floor, he realizes he's laying them on top of another body. correctly victim, water delta second floor. Ader manages to carry the first person out to the hall and hands them to another firefighter to bring to the medics outside. He turns back and, finding the doorway to that same smoke-filled bedroom, he sees his lieutenant has just arrived to help. Ader goes to the spot where he found the second victim on the ground and begins to lift them off the floor. But across the room, his lieutenant says, help me lift this person. I am, Ader insists, with his hands under the arms of the second body. That's when they both realize they're holding different people. There's a third victim in the room. There are a total of three victims. I copy Chuck two. Chuck two, what side are you on? off off. Three victims Remove. Second floor. Delta We're all out front' we'll need medic units the recordings are a little hard to understand we'll need medic units that's what the firefighter says outside 3201 Woodland drive three victims lay in a row on the front lawn they're covered in blood the firefighters can't really figure it out there's not usually that much blood at the scene of a fire they wonder if there'd been an explosion of some kind. The medics work frantically, and one of the victims is lifted on a stretcher and rushed to the ambulance nearby. It's been a surprising 25 minutes, and not in a good way. Aider takes a seat on the curb and starts to process what just happened. He removes his mask and draws a breath of fresh air. Up until now, the smoke had clouded his vision. He was using his hands to get around and navigate his way through the room, through the house. This is the first time he's seeing what's on his gear. He looks down and sees something red. It's definitely blood, and it's on his mask. It's covering his turnout gear. It's on his boots. It's on his gloves. After he suits up to go back inside, Ader finds that thick smoke upstairs is starting to clear. And he finally gets a good look at the bedroom where he found those three people. There's only one way to describe it. It's a bloodbath. The room in Quadrant 2 is a crime scene. The police are now on the way. It's clear to everyone on the scene the bloodied victims pulled from the upstairs bedroom weren't simply overcome by smoke. And there's still another gruesome discovery for firefighters inside the other bedroom, across the hall, where Lieutenant Hershey and other firefighters are working to put out the fire. Lieutenant Corey Goetz is working back up He's crawling toward a window when he kind of falls into a hole in the floor. The heat from the fire had burned so intensely, it melted the bed. The floorboards had given way, creating almost a crater in the middle of the bedroom, filled with blackened bed springs and something else. When Goats trips into that hole, he brushes against something, part of a body. He reaches up to confirm his suspicions and feels what might be a small knee, He reaches farther to feel another leg, and then his gloves land on what feels like a head. It's the charred body of a child. It is being called a major crime scene as homicide investigators examine a house that caught fire in Northwest D.C. This is a crime scene. They found four people, including a child, dead inside on the second floor. Right now it does not appear that this was just a random crime. I said, but what happened? They said, we don't know. They killed the whole family. Police have said they believe more than one person is responsible for the crime. A wide-reaching manhunt for Darren Went, stretching all the way to New York City. We had the DNA on a piece across how did his DNA get into that house. Got it. Package that I'm going to need you to bring down to me. To do what he did to four people, including a 10-year-old boy, is just beyond words. They were brutalized, and we saw the evidence of that. The jury has just reached a verdict in the murder trial of Darren Wint. He was going to strike the American dream just by committing murder in mayhem. I'm Megan Cloherty. Thanks for listening to 22 Hours, An American Nightmare, a new true crime podcast from WTOP in Washington, D.C.,